uh, open us with a word of prayer. We'll read uh, the first 11 verses of 12 and then go look at Romans 12. (laughs) Father, we come to hear your word. Father, uh, help us. Help us not to be ignorant of your spiritual gifts. Father, help us not to be overwhelmed by the things of this world as the church in Corinth was. Help us be that holy people, uh, united uh, in sound doctrine, clean words. Father, help us to walk in the power of the authority uh, of you who spoke existence into being. Help us, Lord, to minister our gifts. Father, with the, same, with the same power that sustains life as we know it. Help us, Lord, to hear your word. Help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see. Father, help us draw upon you who spoke. And we are now here. Help us to understand the price of our redemption, the sinfulness of our nature the overwhelming power that exists in your church, that exists in your people, to your glory, to your praise. Amen. Romans, no, just kidding. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we will go look at Romans 12, 8, but I, that's where we're at in our study. But I want to read this so that we have a, a flow of why we're doing what we're doing. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gift, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, and to another the effects of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues but to one and the same spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually just as he wills all right the reason that we are spending so much time here is because of verse 1 of chapter 12 i do not want you to be unaware the original language says that i don't want you to be ignorant about this you need to know this and if i look at the body of christ today without a whole lot of trouble i can say that the church is ignorant about spiritual gifts okay and church i mean most christians today haven't got a clue what spiritual gifts are you have a whole group has clustered themselves over in the corner that we don't want to speak about them things we have another group over here who kind of blame the holy spirit for everything all right, and that's what we're looking at. Um, we are looking at a breakdown of what I call these gifts. We've looked at it as gifts of men, gifts that strengthen, and gifts that strengthen is what we're, we're actually looking at. But I want to go back and give you some things that I've given you as a list, as a framework to hang these on. We've got three serving gifts that we're going to finish up with, two after today, 
And then I want to spend some time on the person of the Holy Spirit. Who is he and what does he do? All right. And um, it is amazing to me what people believe that the Holy Spirit does. It's amazing to me that what people believe that the Holy Spirit doesn't do. Uh, and, and, and yet we believe in, believe in a triune God, and yet it's almost like the Holy Spirit is, is, is the weaker of the three uh, or the sillier of the three. I have seen a few things that were blamed on the Holy Spirit that uh, I do not believe that the Holy Spirit is that silly. All right. We have been commanded as children of God to walk in the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit. Basically the same thing. All right. Um, walking in the spirit is for most of us in this room. Let me look around. Yeah, most of us in this room today, we don't get up and think about walking. Okay. We just get up and what? Do it. All right. If I'm going to walk in the spirit, if I'm walking in the spirit of God, then it should be something that is second nature to me. I just get up and I just go do it. Being filled with the spirit comes out of the letter to the Ephesians church. He says, do not be filled with wine, which is dispensation, but I want you to be filled with the spirit. Okay. If you are filled with wine, uh, what influence are you under? Wine. If you are filled with the spirit, what influence are you under? There we go. See, this, this theology stuff is not really that hard. It's not complicated. You see a person's drunk, you know who's driving the bus. Okay? You see a person who's walking into the Lord Jesus Christ, you know who's driving the bus. All right? It, it's, it's, we, we make this a lot harder than what it is. Okay? Because let me give you these six things again, and I'm going to hammer these hard for the next six months. No. <laughs> if I'm walking in the Spirit... In the spirit, I am filled by the spirit of God. I will have constant holiness. Constant holiness if I'm walking in the spirit. If I am walking in the spirit, I will have constant joy. Absolutely. Regardless of anything that's going on around me, I will have constant joy. If I am walking in the spirit, I will have constant freedom, liberty. I am free. I am free. Have you ever seen them? You know what Christians I'm talking about? That's got the foreheads that look like this they're all wrinkled up okay because you know god told me get up i did my devotion i did my prayer i did my journal and i did bit of it, bit of it, bit of it, and i prayed for the missionaries in ethiopia and all the rest of it and they're all mad because of all this stuff they're doing for jesus christ okay they're not walking in the spirit they're not walking in the spirit why they're cranky i, I remember before i got saved i run into those people and i what they had i did not want Okay? Not only did I not want it, I was praying it wasn't contagious. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about these people who walk around just prune-faced. All right? But they love Jesus. Yee! Okay? But you know what I'm talking about? You guys, we've all dealt with them. All right? Um, I have a freedom in Christ that I've never experienced. And what's so cool about my freedom in Christ, it continues to just keep getting bigger and bigger. It just, it's like if you look at a tulip and that's, or a rose, when they're small, rose is what I was thinking. They look like a tulip to me. Um, well, they do sometimes. But if they're, when they're just getting ready to start, they're real tight and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. That's the way my freedom in Christ is. It was, you know, it's kind of restrictive. And then all of a sudden I realized that the restrictions were put in place by me. And all of a sudden they started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And now it's this 
beautiful flower. I also have victory, constant victory over myself and my adversaries if I walk in the Spirit. Okay? If I have holiness, joy, freedom, confidence, and victory, guess what I have? Ministry. Ministry. You cannot be saved and not be ministering. Can't be. It's impossible. Okay? Now, you can be mad and you can sit over in the corner and go... But you don't, you're not walking in the Spirit. You have no idea what holiness is. And if you're not serving, you ain't having no joy. If you're not serving, you have got no liberty because you've put all these parameters up. You definitely ain't got no confidence. All right? Because these things are spotted. And I, last week I dealt with these. I got eight things I'm going to give you really quick. Eight things that show that the Spirit of God is in control. One, there's unity. It's not a manufactured unity. It isn't, well, you know, I kind of get along with them because they like hunting and I like hunting and I like fishing. They like... No, you have a unity. Why? Because it's deeper than the temporal. Because who's in control? God is. Right? You have fellowship. This is more than just barbecuing. Okay? This is an intimate involvement in one another's lives. You're curious about one another. And it's more than, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing fine. It's way more than that. Okay? This is depth. This is dragging it down. How's your walk? Mine's fine. It doesn't look good. You're starting to get that forehead wrinkled thing going. I'm thinking you're starting to try to be a Pharisee. I don't like Pharisees. Okay? It's involved. Okay? It isn't a matter of, well, you know, I haven't heard from the pastor all week. I haven't gotten a card from anybody. I don't think they care about me anymore. That ain't fellowship, brothers and sisters. That's forcing something. Okay? When the Spirit is in control, the unity is there. Fellowship is there. You know what it comes out of unity and fellowship? Worship. Why? You have a oneness. Who is it? Jesus Christ. Where do you worship? Well, I went to church today. No, 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 no. You missed it. Worship is being a living sacrifice, holy and pure. This is your act of spiritual worship. When does that take place? Sunday morning. No. You should walk in a state of worship. You worship in spirit and truth. Okay? Out of unity, fellowship, worship will become evangelism. You shouldn't have to go. If you've got to go to school to learn how to evangelize, you need to get saved. All right? If you got saved, you should be able to tell somebody how you got saved. Ain't that evangelism? And, and I hear all these silly stuff. Well, I don't, you know, most people won't share their faith because they've been rejected. Dude, they haven't crucified you. They crucified your king. You should expect, I'm shocked if I am not rejected. That stuns me. I'm sitting there going, uh-oh, this is a serious trap. Why? Because they killed my king. So evangelism should be a natural outflow because I have an overwhelming unity because God is in control. I have fellowship with the saints because God is in control. I am worshiping every time I think about it because God is in control. And I want to share that with anybody that crosses my path. And if you can't share the gospel, that tells me you don't know the gospel. If you don't know the gospel, how did you get saved? And I, I don't say that to offend people. I'm saying that is, duh. What did you get saved from? If you don't know what you got saved from, and if you don't know how you got saved, then are you saved? 
Well, Terry, that seems kind of, you know, I walked an aisle. Nowhere in my Bible does it say walk an aisle. You know what? I can't even find in my Bible it says, say this prayer and you'll be saved. I can't find that. It does say, repent and be baptized. Ooh, I want to do the aisle and the prayer thing. All right? But and I, I don't whatever. Let's move on. There will be an overwhelming love because God has compelled me by his love. Okay? What is the boundary of Christ's love? Is none. So what is the boundary of your love? Is none. There we go. That was easy. All right. Out of all of those things will come obedience. That's that, you know, pig Latin thing. Obey. We don't like that. Why? We're a, uh, what do you call it? Representative Republic. We have our rights. No, you don't. You've been bought and paid for with a price. Therefore, you have a new master. Who is it? The Lord Jesus Christ. And I do what? I obey. That takes me to the second thing, kind of in that line, seventh thing, submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Who rules my life? Jesus does. Okay? Or Jesus does most of the time. No. And my wife does that to my kids. I love it. She says, is partial obedience obedience? My kids sit there and... Sort of. <laughs> okay? You, you can't sort of be obedient to Jesus Christ. You know, that's like baptism. People ask me about baptism. Baptism saved. No, doesn't. Okay? Baptism is an act of obedience. And let me tell you something. If baptism bugs you, wait till he starts messing with your pride. Okay? Baptism was easy for me. Why? It just went downhill from there. I mean, all I got to do is be baptized? Dude, I'm in. All right? It ain't that complicated. Why? He loved me so much he bought my sins. I'm in. Yeah, sure. And all I got to do is get in a jacuzzi. But I can do it. Okay? Well, I got to hold you under. That's fine. Hold me under. Yeah, I don't care. All right? Doesn't do anything. What is it? Is that, what is it? How do I say it? It's an outward proclamation of an inward truth. All right, because then he'll start messing with you. After that, man, he starts saying, "Well, this is like you can't do that." You know, you you need to give more time to me. Uh, why are you watching that stupid? Who watches the soccer thing? World Cup soccer? Anybody do that? We need to talk. I've seen grass grow and be more exciting. You know, I wondered why that guy do that goal thing, and it dawned on me. He only gets to do that about once a year. <laughs> I would probably drag it out, too. Uh, I mean, when you tell me the highlight of the World Cup was some French guy headbutting another guy, and he missed, hit him in the chest, and that was the extent of it, well, sign me up. We got more excitement when, what's his name, quarterback for the Steelers run into a car on a motorcycle. Anyway, but... Do you see, I, I use these things because I want you to understand what rules your life. Okay? Spiritual maturity is not how many Bible verses you've memorized. It's when God points it out to you, you say yes. How many do I see on a daily basis that God says, here it is, and our response is, why? How's it come? Are you sure? Well, that don't make sense. Well, maybe that was just for the Jews. Okay? Spiritual maturity says, amen. I'm in agreement. Yes, Lord. 
Why? Because you know what comes out of unity, fellowship, worship, evangelism, love, obedience, and submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Ministry. Which brings me to what we're looking at. These gifts. God, God knows us so well, he concluded that, you know what? I need you to be ministering, and you guys don't have the ability, so I'll give you supernatural enabling. I like that. Have you ever seen people who are serving and are mad about it? I've got to go do this. I've got the gift of exhortation, and this person needs to be exhorted. And, you know, I've got to do Huh? Have you seen them? I know what they're not walking in. All right? He started out, we looked at this, they gave us gifts of men. All right? Now, we don't like to hear that, do we? Especially you ladies. Yeah, my man ain't no gift. I'm telling you what. I, I'm, he's my cross. I burn that burden everywhere I go. <laughs> no, he gave gifts of men. He gave men to the church as gifts. They were apostles. They were prophets. They were evangelists. They were pastors. They are teachers. They are gifts. Um, I, as a pastor, know that very few would look at me as a gift. Okay, or... Some would look at me and say, could you wrap that back up? <laughs> we'll slide that under the tree for Yom Kippur something. All right. But it gave us gifts of men. And we're looking at gifts that strengthen now. What are these gifts that strengthen? Um, I, and, I, and I mention this because I, the only term I can use to describe it is like primary colors. You take these gifts. There's 11 gifts that strengthen. They make us stronger. They make us do what we do better. Verse 11 of chapter 12 says there's one and same spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills it's like the holy spirit is the 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 artist and he takes these colors these 11 gifts and he mixes them as he deems necessary and he gives them to individuals and then the individuals collectively are gathered together in the body of christ and they make this beautiful beautiful portrait of jesus christ to a lost and dying world uh one of the fascinating things that has kind of come to me on this is that uh when you take a big church huge church okay and we all say man that's a big church that's a big you know they got this that and the other do you know that a small church is going to be more gifted than a big church think about it the church is still going to manifest jesus christ is it not if you've got sixteen thousand people manifesting coming together manifest Christ, you've got a whole bunch of people doing one or two things. If you've got 10 people manifesting Christ, then you've got a whole bunch more gifted people. Because you're not going to... God doesn't say, here's a big church that looks just like Jesus Christ. Here's a little bitty church that looks like Christ's hand. That ain't the way he does it. It's going to look like Christ. And, and, I, and I see people who, well, it's a big... Well, you know what? It's not as gifted. It's not as gifted church. All right? Take these primary colors that he uses, the Holy Spirit uses to paint Christ, and you'll see that they fall into two groups. One group is what I call the verbal, the speaking gifts. The other are the serving gifts. Okay? Five speaking gifts, six um, serving gifts. Okay, and I'm not going to go back over those. You can get the tapes or download it off whatever it is we download off of. Okay, I want to get into the serving gifts. The serving gifts. First one that we looked at was what is called administrations in some of your 
um, text. It's literally leadership. Okay, and I'm just going to give you the word picture that the Greek gives you out of that word. It literally means when you tie the helmsman to the wheel of the ship. Okay, you tie him to that. He knows where he's going. He knows to steer the course to get there, and he is bound to that. That's leadership. The second gift that we've seen is the gift of helps or serving, depending on your translation. And these are the people who are going to look up at the guy who's tied to the steering wheel and says, he needs help. <laughs> okay? He knows how to get there, and we need to help him get there. All right? And whatever is, is necessary, they're in tune with the quote-unquote leader. Listen. As a pastor, you really, okay, as an elder, you really want the gift of leadership, okay? But you don't have to be an elder or a pastor to have the gift of leadership. Please understand that, okay? So uh, the gift of leadership is just what I said. This is what we need to accomplish and this is the direction, and let's get down that road, all right? The people who have the gift of serving will come along that person and say, yeah, great, let's go. What's it going to take to get us there, all right? So you have the gift of helps. Last week, we looked at the gift of giving, okay, and it's meta. It means supernatural giving, and it looks at the need and meets the need, period. That's, that's, that's just how it does it, okay? You just, boom, there's the need. All right, now then, we got all that squared away. If you would, please go over to Romans chapter 12, verse 8. I'm going to look at uh, one of my favorite gifts. Um, and you'll see why in a minute. All right, verse 8. We've looked at exhortation. That's a speaking gift. Um, gives with liberality. Leads, that's administrations with diligence. Diligence means hastily. He who shows mercy... With cheerfulness. Okay? This is an easy gift to understand, isn't it? Elion is the word. Elion. Um, sometimes it's translated compassion. Sometimes it's translated mercy. Uh, sometimes it's translated pity. Pity. Um, it's actually, Elion is one of the terms that is characteristic of God, who God is, uh, Part of his nature is that he is merciful. Okay? So, with that thought, I'll run over quickly to, uh, we'll call it Psalms 103, verses 8, 11, and 13. 8 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. The word compassionate there is Elion. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Verse 11 says, <clears throat> For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. The word loving kindness there is Elion. He's merciful toward those who fear him. Uh, verse 13 says, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So when I see this gift of mercy, I see a literal characteristic of God. Okay? Uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 7, says, Blessed are those who show mercy, for they shall receive mercy. Okay? 
The problem that I have with the gift of mercy is that we sometimes get it mixed up. Okay? We sometimes, and, 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 and I've seen it in translations when I was going through different translations of the Bible, I've seen it happen on a regular basis. Um, Elion, the gift of mercy, this mercy that is spoken of, is sometimes confused or mixed with what you and I call grace. Grace. Sometimes we have grace and mercy. Um, we talk about God's grace and we talk about God's mercies, and sometimes we don't separate the two, and the two need to be separated. Okay? So what I'm going to do real quick is kind of define it, and then I'm going to show you kind of how it works. All right? Grace, all right, now get a hold of this. Grace is extended to men in relation to guilt. Okay? Grace is extended to men in relation to guilt. Um, grace has to do with sin. There's sin. Men's sin. Mercy is extended to men in relationship to misery, to a situation. Okay? Um, if everything in your world falls apart, the last thing you want somebody to give you is grace. Okay? You're not worried about feeling guilty. You're worried about getting out of the situation. So instead of grace, we need to be showing mercy. All right? And a lot of times I see people take grace and mercy and they sort of uh, do the little shell game. Which one is it? They sign it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Okay? The gift of mercy deals with the situation. Um, grace is God taking care of our sin. Mercy is God taking care of the mess we're in. See the difference? Huge difference. Um, all right, I just, just so that you guys know that I ain't making this stuff up. The book of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 20 and 21, says this. The poor is hated by his neighbor. Okay, that's sort of the context of what he's talking about. But those who love the rich are many. Okay, that's, that's the book of wisdom. Then he says this. He who despises his neighbor's sins, but happy is he who is. Now, this translation says gracious to the poor, but the word is Elion, he who is merciful to the poor. Okay, so you have people who hate people because they're poor. They're poor and they've got no benefit, so get out of my way. All right, and I'll hang with the rich people. But he says, he who despises his neighbor's sins, but happy is the man who is merciful to the poor. He who helps the poor. Okay, verse 31 of that same chapter 14 says, he who oppresses the poor taunts his maker, but he who is merciful to the needy honors him. You want to bring honor to God? Please don't say no. Oh, yeah, all right. Nah, I ain't honoring him. <laughs> all right. If you want to bring honor to God, how do you do it? Show mercy to the, to the poor. See, God reaches the poor. How do you honor God? 
through us. Mercy is connected uh, with something that you do. Okay, so I can see mercy being used to the poor. Okay, understand, poor is not necessarily sin. Poor is a situation, and poor is can be miserable. <laughs> All right, um, let me give you another text. Uh, let's see, where is it? Where I want to go? Hosea, 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 chapter four, verse one. Listen to the war, word of the Lord, O sons of Israel. For the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. Anytime you read that phrase, you should pay attention. God is mad at Israel about something. All right? And this is what he says. There is no faithfulness or kindness. That's this translation. It literally means there is no truth or mercy. There's no truth or mercy. Why? Or knowledge of God in the land. Okay, listen, if there's no knowledge of God, guess what happens? There's no truth. If there's no truth, there's no mercy. There's no mercy. Okay, no truth, no mercy. And, and it becomes an oppressing society. Um, they take advantage of the poor. Um, no one is relieving the poor. Um, in Hosea chapter 14... Hosea 14, verse 3. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say again our God to the work of our hands. Okay? He's saying the things that we do, we're not going to give God credit for and look at what mess we're in now. Then he says this, For in you, that would be God, in you, the orphans, what? Find mercy. Mercy, all right? So, the fatherless will find mercy in God. Mercy is connected with poor people, and mercy is connected with orphans. Both of those situations are situations. They're in misery. There is trouble here. God's mercy is related to man's misery, okay? God is merciful, and God gives mercy without any deserving on our part. All right, so, so I'm still defining what is this mercy thing. So I have a general concept of this mercy. This is, it's a, yes, grace is an unmerited favor. It's a free gift. Okay, no strings attached. So is God's mercy. All right, how does this relate to the gift of mercy? People who are in need. Okay, they can be poor, they can be orphans. Let me show you what Jesus says about mercy. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verse 30, I'll, I'll just read this, you'll understand quickly what this is. Jesus replied and said, a lawyer comes up to Jesus. Okay, bad move. Okay, now you need to understand a translation of a lawyer. Okay, a lawyer is an expert in the law. Okay, a lawyer, when you read this, it may say a scribe or it may say a lawyer in the gospel record, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And when it uses that term, it's saying this person is an expert in the word of God. All right, he comes up and asks Jesus a question. Okay, here's the question. Who's my neighbor? Okay, simple question. I get it asked on a regular basis. Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho 
they fell among robbers, they stripped him, they beat him, and they went away leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on the road. When he saw him, he passed on the other side. Okay? Who's the priest? Priest is the person who takes men to God. All right? When he seen the guy beating there laying on the road, what did he do? Went on the other side. Likewise, a Levite. You know what a Levite is, right? It's a pair of blue jeans. No. It's, <laughs> it's a guy who's going to be a priest. That's the priestly line, all right? Likewise, Levite also, when he came to the place, he saw him pass on the other side. Okay? But a Samaritan. Everybody know what a Samaritan is? Okay? That was during the Babylonian captivities, Jews who married outside of Israel. Okay? So they were half-breeds. Right? A Samaritan who's on a journey came upon him, he saw him, and he felt. The translation says compassion, but it says literally he felt mercy. In his heart, he looked at this man beaten naked on the road and said, Bummer, dude. Okay? He had pity. Alright? He had pity. He felt compassion. He came to him. He bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He put them on his own breast, and he br- on his own beast, and he brought him into an inn. He took care of him. On the next day, he took two denarii, which was a lot of money. That's two days' wages. And gave them to the innkeeper to take care of him. And, when he, <clears throat> and whatever you more you spend, I will return and I will repay you. Okay? Which of these do you think proved to be the neighbor of the man who fell on the robber's hands? Okay, And Jesus said, the one who showed mercy towards him. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Go and do the same. Okay? This expert in the scriptures wanted to know what was going on. He gives two examples of two experts in the scriptures, the priests and the Levites. And then he uses a Samaritan. And he uses a Samaritan. It's fascinating because a Samaritan is was awful. Now, I want you to think about this, this parable because we miss this a lot of times. A Samaritan was an outcast to Israel, to a Jew. Okay? Please understand that. How bad was it? A Jew would not enter the land of Samaria. Yet, who did Jesus first show his deity to? Samaritan woman at a well. They were outcasts. Okay, now what was bizarre was the Samaritans had gotten just as big an attitude as the Jews had. They didn't want nothing to do with the Jews. Remember what she said? We worship here. You guys say you worship over there. Right? And that's what happens. Look what they're doing over there today. And we're shooting rockets at each other. I can beat you. Boom. I'll beat you. Boom. There's my cannon. There's your rocket. There's my cannon. Here's my missile. There's... Yeah, why? I'm better than you. We still do it. But a Samaritan who took care of a Jew could never go brag to a Samaritan that he took care of a Jew. Nor could a Jew who took care of a Samaritan ever say he did a thing with a Jew. You know, a Samaritan was worse than a Gentile. And the Jews used to pray, thank you, Lord. Men used to pray, thank you, I was not born a woman or a Gentile. And they wouldn't even mention Samaritans. This guy, so what was the motive for this Samaritan to take care of this Jew? What's in it for him? Nothing. There is absolutely nothing to motivate this man 
except the compassion of his heart, the mercy in his heart. He isn't told if he goes and helps this poor beaten man, he's going to get a great reward. He's not even going to get an attaboy. If anything, if he tells anybody that he did it, he's going to get chastened. They're going to ridicule him. What, you idiot? That's a Jew. In fact, the Samaritans wouldn't even give it. Nobody is going to acknowledge him. Nobody's going to give him a pat on the back. Nobody's going to reimburse him. This Samaritan would not be in favor of anybody. He does something where there is absolutely no motive, no response. There's nothing to be gained here except the relief that will come by giving from the compassion of your own heart. That's the only thing you're going to get out of it. Okay? The beauty of all these spiritual gifts is selflessness. That's the way the gifts work. Have you thought about that? All of these gifts that I have dealt with, these gifts that strengthen, all of them are negating any motive. There's nothing in it for you. Absolutely nothing in it. Listen, I've heard people tell me to want to be a teacher. I want to be a teacher. You know, if you teach, you teach the Bible, you teach Sunday school, VBS, or something like that, and you get to see. You know what you get to see? You get to see people walk away consistently from Jesus Christ. Consistently. You get to see people get mad at you because they can't hit your Lord. That's what you get to see. And you know what else you get to see? You get held to a higher standard because your judgment will be harsher because you supposedly know. Why would you want to be a teacher? There are no attaboys in it. There's no... You know what? Yep, every once in a while I get a card that says, you know what, I just appreciate you or something like that. But nine times out of ten... I get a card that tells me how evil I am. I'm the Antichrist. I'm a legalist. I'm da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Okay? You want that? Well, I thought you were having an effect. You are. Absolutely you are. Okay? But see, it says that I am supposed to preach the word in season and out of season. And right now, it is seriously out of season. And it doesn't say, well, now that it's out of season, just sort of chill out a little bit. Nope. It says you just keep going. Then you have the serving gifts. And you know what? Nobody acknowledges the serving gifts. Most of the serving gifts have absolutely no fanfare. You don't get a little star. A little star of mine says here that I've been in Sunday school 365 days. Okay, Paul run his race and he says, you know what? Laid up for me is a crown of righteousness. Where the heck is that? It's in heaven. So the only attaboy you get is in heaven. You stand before him, you hear, well done, true and faithful service. Then you give him back the crown because it was him through you who got it accomplished. Sure does take the glamour out of it, doesn't it? That's the thing that you and I have to get a hold of. You can't serve if you're not selfless. Please. 
If you don't get anything out of these messages, understand that. It ain't about you. It is about here I am, Lord. Pour me out until it is all said and done. That's the way the spiritual gifts operate. They're supernatural. They're not yours. They are to be given away. Okay? So Samaritan, big deal. He took some time, took some money. Why did he do it? What was to be gained by taking care of this man? Was this a famous person? He had compassion. In his heart, he had mercy. He had pity. And you know what? When you have mercy, you will never have any self-motive mixed in it. Okay? Jesus said this, the one who you show more mercy to is your neighbor. Hmm. You go do the same. See, that's the spirit of what mercy is. Giving without any thought of the return. Giving to one who is in misery. They're in misery. This is the poor. Um, Matthew's Gospel. Chapter 9. Verse 27. <clears throat> Blind men following Jesus. Okay? Jesus went out from there. Two blind followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. How's come in and ask for grace? And he wants to say, doesn't say, Hey, have grace on us, son of David. See, son of David is the title of Messiah. They're calling him Messiah. And he says, have mercy on us. Why? They were sort of in kind of a suffering place. Man, you're blind. That's a little difficult. I mean, and you got a buddy with you. Great. Both of us can go bump into things together. I won't feel alone. All right, they call, call out to Messiah and they say, have mercy on us. He entered into a house and the blind men came up to him. Okay, so, I mean, he can't get away from him. All right, have mercy on us. He entered a house, blind men came up to him, said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. He touched their eyes saying, it shall be done according to your faith. And their eyes were open. He sternly warned them, don't tell anybody about this. He had mercy on them. He eliminated their human misery. An interesting one that I found is in chapter 15 of the Gospel of Matthew. It's fascinating. Beginning in verse 21, he came away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. Everybody knows where that's at, right? That's Lebanon. They got a bunch of guys running around with tanks and rockets in Tyre and Sidon now. Okay? Tyre and Sidon. He's up in Lebanon. Okay, that's key. Right? Lebanon is, how shall I say, lacking in Jews. Right? Jesus went away from there, withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon, and a Canaanite woman, that would be a non Jewish woman, Canaanite woman from the region, 
came out and began, began to cry out, saying, Have grace on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Nah, don't read more into that than what you need to. Okay? He did not say, Have grace on me. He said, Have mercy on me. Why? Well, I imagine that if you were a woman and had a demon-possessed daughter, you'd be looking for some mercy. Okay? Probably tired of grace. Right? Wouldn't you? Don't read more into that than what you think. That's not that's what this is dealing with. He did not answer her a word. She's calling him by Messiah, right? He, his response is what? I mean, let's be realistic. A demon-possessed daughter... That'd be tough. And he's asking for mercy. Jesus' response was, he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, send her away because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost house, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Grab that one and chew on it a little bit. Okay? Lady comes, calls him by his anointed name, son of David. I have a demon-possessed daughter. Help me. I need mercy. Jesus' response is, you ain't Jewish. Whoa. Whoa. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Think about that for a second. I'm bowing down and now you're saying that what I'm asking you is like taking food and giving it to a dog? So Jesus said, red letters right there. That's what it says. But she said, yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. That's what I call the persistence of a Gentile. Okay, now I know the flow of the gospel of Matthew. And he was not dealing with the Gentiles until the Jews said what he was doing was by a demon. And then judgment began on the nation of Israel. But he was not going to retreat and help Gentiles until Israel had condemned herself. And and she does. Don't worry. She did a good job. Okay. But I understand that. But that's a harsh text. You read that to preach that. But I thought Jesus was love. He is. As long as you're not Canaanite and have a demon-possessed daughter. And I mean, that's a harsh statement. You do not take bread. From your children, give it to a dog. You know what the implications are, right? But if you go and look at the Old Testament, God called the Canaanites. Okay. I didn't say it. All right. I see mercy in the misery of poverty. I see mercy in the misery of orphans. I see mercy. Mercy in the misery of being mugged, of blind, and of demon-possessed. Human suffering, human misery. 
Okay? I've seen it in... You can just write these down and go look at them yourself. Matthew 17, verse 14. Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 to 34. I see it in Mark chapter 10, verse 46. I see it in Luke 17, 11. And what I'm trying to get at is over and over and over and over and over. I can see mercy being used. One that I really, really like is out of Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 Uh, Paul, not Paul, what's that guy's name? Peter. Peter is moving through the regions and and he needs to go over to Joppa. Um, Verse 36 of chapter 9, it says, Now in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which which translated in Greek means Dorcas. (laughs) Dorcas means gazelle. I don't know how that works, but it's what it means. Okay. Anyway, there's a... Boy, I'd keep my Jewish name. Anyway, this woman was abounding in deeds of kindness and charity. Okay. Some of your translations may say uh, alms deeds. Okay. That word is literally um, mercy. This lady's abounding in kindness and in mercy, which she continually did. That's what the text says. And it happened at that time, verse 37, she fell sick and died. (laughs) Yeah, pretty sick. And when they had washed her body, they laid her in the upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples came, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. So Peter rose and went to them, and when he arrived, they brought him to the upper room, and all the windows <clears throat> and all the windows stood beside him, all the widows, sorry, stood beside him, weeping. Why? Why were the widows all standing around weeping and showing all of the tunics and garments that Dorcas had used to make while she was the, with them? This lady was making cloaks and blankets. Lots of them and giving them to people who needed it. Okay? This lady had mercy and she was continuous in her mercy. But Peter sent them all out, knelt down, prayed, turning to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Okay? And he gave her his hand, raised her up, calling the saints and the widows, and presented her alive. And it became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed in Joppa with a tanner named Simeon. Okay? Gift of mercy. And they had a little party. Raised her up from the dead. She went back to making blankets and cloaks. Okay, the gift of mercy, if you remember, we haven't looked at it in depth, but I have touched on it. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26 says that if one member of the body suffers, who suffers? So you see how the gift of mercy should be working? If anybody in the body of Christ is suffering, then the whole body of Christ is suffering and the people who have the gift of mercy should be overwhelmed. It enables us to sympathize with suffering. 
somebody who's hurting, to come alongside someone who is poor, someone who is sick, perhaps a widow, even someone possibly in prison, someone who has a physical ailment, a physical disease, and it gives us the ability to minister. You know what? Sometimes the gift of mercy, I've watched this gift multiple times. It is it isn't even giving up anything. It is listening. Just listening. I'm just listening. Just giving up your heart. Sometimes it's just weeping with those who are weeping. Sometimes it's just listening to those who are suffering. Okay? Now I want to give you one last word to think about. Okay? It's a supernatural gift. It's given. I've seen it work in this church. It's a cool thing to watch. But he says here in Romans 12.8 that if you're going to show mercy, you're going to do it with cheerfulness. <laughs> do you know what the word in the original language is for cheerfulness? Hilarious. If you're going to show mercy... Do it hilariously, joyfully. Offering sympathy to suffering with great overwhelming joy. Taking care of the orphan, taking care of the widow, taking care of the sick, taking care of those who are grieving, taking care of those who are in a position of misery and do it hilariously. Listen, I know this gift. I've seen this gift. I've seen it. I've seen it operate. God overcomes me. If you watch me at times in serious situations, you'll see that I have, my wife keeps talking about this, I have a silly sense of humor. And where does that come from? I always just thought it was an oddity. I, I really did. I thought, gee, McGregor, you take something this awful and I'm making a joke of it. Okay? I mean, it's like my buddy Wayne. Did you hear about that guy? He had, they were doing a big thing at a, a, an opera house, and there was, you know what the opera pit is? Okay, it's a big sunken hole. And his buddy had opened this door, and it's all black in there, and he stepped into it with the, op, the opera pit was about 15 or 16 feet deep and about killed the guy when he fell into it, okay? And so uh, Wayne went to visit him at the hospital. This guy was, they didn't think he was going to make it. And, and Wayne went to visit this guy at the hospital. And so he walks into the guy. And, I mean, this guy's in bad shape. I mean, they thought he was going to die. And, and Wayne just looked at the guy and said, you're the only guy I know who's ever been in the pit. <laughs> Was there any Apache helicopters in there? <laughs> because a lot of people believe that the, the bugs that come out of the pit of hell are Apache helicopters. And Anyway, that's something that I would do. Um, why? The gift of mercy has a lot of joy in it. And sometimes just going is a point of joy. It's a point of joy. 
Spirit of God has given you this, you're the guy or the lady who wants to go talk to the shut-ins, those who can't get out. Maybe you go to the hospital. Listen, I can go right now and say, you know what? We've got such and such in the hospital. We need to go visit them, and everybody's going to get up, pack their bags, and go visit them. I know how that works. The person who has the gift of mercy does it without ever being asked. Okay? Why? If you look at these gifts, they're done selflessly. So you don't have to ask. If you have to ask, then there's something about self that's in the way. Listen, it, it, if you're going to go and you're running around doing this and you don't have the gift, it's awful. It's awful. There's nothing worse than somebody who doesn't have the gift of mercy um, showing up at your hospital to make you feel better because they're not going to be cheerful. Okay, I, you know, I remember when my pastor was here and he had made me the associate pastor, whatever it was he put me through. We went to visit a friend at the hospital. He says, you need to get used to doing this and all the rest of it. And uh, my friend, our friend had had prostate cancer and had been castrated because it was one of those that caught it late. So we went up to the hospital to visit him, so me and Al was going up and do our ministerial things and all the rest of it. So we walk in and cracking jokes and making fun of him and all the rest of it. So I walk around by side of his bed. Al's on one side, I'm on the other side, and he's in good spirits and all the rest of it. And about that time, he pulls the covers back and goes, look what they did to me. And I about fell over. <laughs> Yo, dude, the guy had the hiccups or something. Okay. I thank God for the gift of mercy because <laughs> Lord knows I needed it. Okay? Listen, there's a bunch of you in this room who have this gift. Use it. Use it. Okay? Because you will never be at peace. You will never understand hilariousness until you exercise this gift. Father, I give you the praise for your word. Praise you for your giftedness to your people. Father, I just rejoice at what you're doing. Lord, you have empowered us, supernatural enabling, and you give it to us as you need it. Father, I thank you for the gifts. I thank you for your precious church. I thank you for your bride and what she means to me. Lord, may we walk. May we walk in your spirit, Lord. May we walk in a way we understand you and you alone, that what people see in us is Christ. Father, may we decrease, may you increase, may your supernatural enablings be that that overwhelms us, compels us, and uses us to your glory, to your praise.